good companies don't die of starvation, they die of indigestion. And for us, that's really the problem we're working on. How do we ingest more customers? How do we ingest more features? How do we ingest more people? And, and in a harmonious way, really build this thing. Welcome to the Strategy and Leadership Podcast, the podcast that brings you practical advice, lessons, and stories from senior leaders and thought leaders from around the world. The Strategy and Leadership Podcast is brought to you by SME Strategy, working with organizations around the world to create and implement their strategic plans. To learn more, visit smestrategy.net. And now, your host, Anthony Taylor. Hey there, folks. Welcome to today's episode of the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. My guest today is Sonny Han, who is the CEO and founder at Fulcrum. Sonny, what's happening today? Thanks for having me. I appreciate you having me on the show. It's a good day for me today. How about you? I'm doing awesome. I'm excited to chat. I'm excited to learn more about what you're working on. I'm, a, I'm interested to see what that curve is on the back wall, but I don't want to give away any trade secrets. But <laughs> uh, why don't you tell uh, our listeners about who you are and what Fulcrum is and how it helps people in the world? Yeah, Fulcrum is what most people would probably think of as an ERP platform. We don't think about it like that internally. For us, we talk about it like a manufacturing operating system. So we focus a lot on automating and digitizing production and making things a, a lot more future forward focused. I think that there's a, a lot uh, that the manufacturing industry has done in terms of with technology. They're one of the first uh, industries to hire engineers and software programmers to build software for them. And I think the entire concept of an ERP system of a database were all invented for manufacturing companies. So we're just ready for another new wave, another big burst of technological advancement for manufacturers. And for us, the piece of the puzzle that we're trying to solve is the data piece. How do you manage and control and plan and execute all the things that are happening in your manufacturing facility? And uh, Fulcrum, big company, small company? Small, we're growing, but we're small. The team is 80 people uh, large now, and we raised our Series A last year. We're you know, tripled in, in revenue, and, and the year before that, we tripled as well. So obviously, it's going to be hard to continue to do, but we're a puppy with big paws. <laughs> awesome. Well, I got that. Well, to, to some people, 80 is, to a lot of people, 80 is large. So uh, it's all a matter of perspective. So uh, I just appreciate you being here. I'm excited to, to chat and learn more about what you're up to. So tripling and tripling. Uh, what's that been like for you as a as a founder, for you as a CEO? What have been some of those you know lessons learned, and, and how's it going? I think primarily for me, some of the lessons learned are different forms of cowardice that I experience personally. I, I don't think before I started the company that I would have seen myself as a coward in different regards. Obviously, I thought. Uh, that that I could make a lot of decisions and and you know be courageous in in the face of adversity or whatever you want to call it. I think the truth of the matter is that until you start to scale a company, you potentially have never really been pushed to make decisions that are that impactful in that short of a period of time. In all my previous career as a consultant, as an, as an engineer, as and a hired gun outside leader, all of those things were much more narrow, right? The, either the businesses were established already or the goal and the mission was there already. For me, it's fun, but also increasingly daunting to know that the decisions that I make are going to continuously affect 80, 100, 500, however many people we grow into, right? I think that's probably the, the biggest emotional thing is that sometimes it, I, I want to just be able to not think about those things for a little bit of time. So that that's something that I... I, I 
didn't expect. And that's kind of prescient right now in, in terms of how I'm looking into the future. But I think there's a lot of things. I think there's a lot of things about how to work with each other, how to hire people. Um, I think one of the things we discovered is that we have really strong values about how we want to conduct ourselves. And sometimes that makes it really hard to read a blog article, get a good idea and try to implement it. Because if that, that idea somehow has some baggage that's very different than what you're trying to do as a company, it can be really disastrous, even though it was very successful for another company. So those are probably the flavor of things is that the muscles that I used to rely on going out and reading a bunch of books and articles to do a bunch of research to see what I should do, they're becoming less and less applicable over time. Yeah, I, that's an amazing insight. And, you know, one of the things that I hear from the fact that your decisions now carry more weight is a function of the fact that what you are delivering is helping hundreds, if not thousands or tens of thousands of people. So that like the, the weight of all of those things are because you're having doing a great thing for, for other people. So, you know, otherwise you would just stay small. So if you weren't doing the good thing, what uh, energizes you about the space that you're in? Because you are you know, moving forward in, in a world that's dynamic and changing. And obviously, you know, ERPs technology 10 years ago is not the same as it is now. The world of manufacturing is not the same as it was three years ago. You know, what is uh, exciting to you about the problem solving opportunity ahead? I mean, for me, it was a thing I didn't, wasn't exposed to manufacturing as a kid. And, you know, I, I wrote little computer games when I was in uh, a child, when I was like 10 or 11, I started like uh, writing code and, and, and selling it as and pretending I was an adult on the internet, things like that. But what is really exciting to me is that manufacturing is extremely foundational to the entire world. Everything is produced, everything that's in your background there, somebody did something to some material to get it to be like that, right? I think we don't realize that the internet is based on a bunch of switches and computers and routers that connect us to each other. And all those things need to be manufactured and designed and iterated upon and upgraded. For me, uh, I know that there's a lot of attention in, in financial technology and healthcare technology and a bunch of different things right now, but it's really exciting that this is a space that has hundreds of thousands of businesses in just the US alone. I think the fact that we have this rich, democratized, decentralized network of manufacturers that exist in America is really the, the cornerstone value that American manufacturing has. Other countries have it as well. Germany has it. Japan has it. It's not just us. But for me to be able to write software and, and spread it into the market to enable that type of manufacturing to continue to be competitive and the best, that's really exciting to me. Because I think somebody told me like, when you're working on something and you want it to be really impactful, you have to see your decisions as voting on what future you want. And the future that I want is I want a future where there's artisans and craftsmen and craftswomen that are out there building really great things for satellites and rockets and cars and temporary tattoos, whatever, however small or however big the thing is. I want that to be done by the people that really understand and know things. What I don't want is I don't want this giant uh, factory where you, you know, that has a monopoly and everything that's made has to go through them. And I'm voting with as many hours a week as I can put into it in trying to preserve that part of like a democratized manufacturing world and, and doing it in a way that's supported by good software. 
Cool. I love that. And I think that's really cool how you see that future that you're putting in place through the actions that you take. It's more than just, you know, building a business. It is like that, that values driven piece, growing the company and scaled and scaled and scaled. How have you been able to communicate and ingrain that same kind of, uh, I'll call it an idealistic future because we're talking about the ideals. How have you been able to organizationally duplicate that such that people in your organization see what you're doing more than just, hey, we're building software. We're actually like shaping the future of the world we want to live in. It's been described many ways like this, but our our company itself is a network of people. We're half hybrid, half here in Minneapolis. We fly people together to, to see each other in person and, and to have these meetings. We spend a lot of money on that. But really, the analogy we use internally is that the company is a cybernetic brain. Each individual person is a neuron that has to connect to many other people in different ways to form ideas and thoughts and and get things done. And as an entire company, we need to be aligned on those thoughts. But really, it's that that sharing process that needs to happen. So there's a few things that I do that are, are contrarian. I try to keep as little process and as little bureaucracy and as little approval as possible, understanding that sometimes we're going to make mistakes and it's going to cost money and that's okay. We hire people that are very collaborative, that are very ethical, that are very uh, hardworking and have good work ethic. We have a lot of transparency, our board decks, our uh, monthly updates, our financials, how much money is in the bank account, how much money we're making, deals that we've lost, deals that we've won, customers that are happy, customers that have churned, customers that are pissed. Bugs, everything is exposed to everybody in Slack, every single person. There's nothing that's hidden other than private information and, and, and health stuff and, and individual information, stuff like that. Every other business factor is, is shown. And I think that creates a culture of we're dealing with problems. We're not trying to hide them or spin them or sell them in a different way. So if you think about the company as a brain, to have a healthy brain, you have to feed it well and, and, and grow good neurons but you have to also keep it from being delusional. You have to ground it in what reality is. And so I think those are the the concepts that we reinforce. We hire in bursts to be able to accomplish this. We, instead of hiring kind of trickling people in, we hire in a big burst to try to make sure that the new folks that are coming in are influenced by the culture, but also can influence it as well. And that gives them a sense of ownership that they're, they're creating this culture and this business together with us instead of just joining our ship, if that makes any sense. It's unknown how long these strategies will be able to be scalable, right? But we're going to try to continue to do all of them for as long as possible. Yeah. Well, what was going again, going back to the first part of it is saying, hey, you know, you're taking like all brains, you take all the information that's accessible, and then you say, hey, you know, what is working for us? What suits my needs? What suits my work? What suits my, you know, ideal outcome? And and put that in place to be adaptive, but continually learning. And what I really like is that that transparency, one, the transparency of being open and making sure everybody's working together, but two, the idea that your organization is an organism and therefore it is a function of the inputs that you put in much like a CRM or ERP is only as good as the data that it has. And so making sure that you are supporting the success of the organism, which is your enterprise through good data, good information, good environment, and in a measured slash strategic approach to its development and growth. Is that more or less how you see it in a manner? Yep. Cool. So maybe you can ask, uh, shifting gears to the product itself and the industry, the past two years, there's been a lot of changes in manufacturing. Uh, you know, ship shortages are a big thing. People aren't getting like supply chains or just getting their asses kicked. 
how are you seeing that from a, I call it a macro perspective, external perspective? And then how is that impacting uh, your ability to, uh, if anything, deliver work or even support people in that? So I know that's a lot of questions at once, but hopefully you can unpack those. Yeah, not to be grandiose about it, but I think that we are, the, the primary way that I think about it is that we're just late. It's like building solar panels and working on carbon sequestration well after we know that the climate change problem is is really tough. I think just like everybody else, or there's people that, that wish that we would have done a, a lot more responsible science in the 80s and 90s and, and executed on it. And just like that problem, the supply chain problem, the manufacturing problem, we're not going no one's going to be able to solve it tomorrow or or next week or in a few months there's this concept in manufacturing theory called the bullwhip effect where uh just like a bullwhip has these crazy curves in it as we overstock and then we run out of more raw materials and, and other you know structural and frictional changes happen then we have low stocks mathematically we can almost certainly predict that over the next year five years ten years however long it takes we're going to still have lots of shocks and ripples through the entire supply chain and manufacturing industry uh, for some time. I think that creating what we're trying to create, if we're if we're as successful as we want to be, having manufacturers be able to communicate with each other through the internet directly from an information sharing standpoint would have really given us a lot more agility and a lot more resilience in the supply chain shocks that happened because of COVID because the system is still fundamentally coordinated through phone calls and trade shows and uh, Google searches and PDFs and fax machines, that's the issue that's causing us to have these structural challenges in realigning ourselves. So again, I'm not I'm not trying to get too grandiose or too like technical about it, but that's my overarching feeling about the situation in the market in general. For us, you know, we we've been able to provide our customers the ability to access their shop floor information remotely from home during COVID, which has been really transformative for some of them. For us, it, it allows us to automate certain things, give them better insights, real-time decision-making. Um, there's so much volatility, there's so much chaos in the environment that actually being able to do things simpler and faster is really valuable. So from an opportunity standpoint, for us, this concept of not being on the cloud was just erased by the entire market. This concept of not changing and being okay with what you had before, people are starting to understand that's not true. But there's still so much work to do, not just in deploying our software to our customers, but also in building more features to support more different types of manufacturers. Our, our dreams are to create this network of manufacturing. You can't do that by focusing on just one type of manufacturer, which makes our problem just a really big one to solve. So. There's this line that I read somewhere about how good companies don't die of starvation, they die of indigestion. And for us, that's really the problem we're working on. How do we ingest more customers? How do we ingest more features? How do we ingest more people? And, and in a harmonious way, really build this thing. That's so, first of all, I love that, that quotable, the dying of indigestion. And, and as you were explaining that, I had kind of like a dissonance piece because on one hand, you hear, hey, we don't want to have like a mega manufacturer that does everything because it is our uniqueness that creates the vibrancy of the world, so to speak. And on, not on the flip side, but as a parallel saying, hey, you know, if manufacturers up all manufacturers applied the kind of node effect of a central brain that we would be able to, on one hand, 
mitigate some of those challenges and, and decrease the overall volatility of the bullwhip. And so I guess from your perspective, keeping in mind that we see market consolidation, generally speaking across all sectors, what does the future of manufacturing look like without giving away any kind of secret sauce or, or anything you're like, Hey, uh, you know, I don't want no trade secrets given away, of course. So I think there's always room for both centralization and decentralization. So we can see the parallels with Amazon who owns a bunch of warehouses and has hundreds of thousands of employees and their primary market is e-commerce. The flip side of them is Shopify, who doesn't have any warehouse. Well, they have some, but primary model is not to be the distribution of it. They empower other companies to, to do that work. And they both have a really large impact on the market in, in a, a lot of negative ways, but also mostly in a lot of positive ways. We can see that as well between Netflix and YouTube. I know those are things that are weirder to compare, but Netflix is, I, I watch a lot of Netflix. I, I think there's a value in central planning in terms of content and things like that. But even they are moving towards a more decentralized content planning and purchasing method. But YouTube is a, an environment where individual creators can go on and create interesting content that, you know, there's sometimes that I watch YouTube videos that are 20 minutes long that I get more out of from a factual standpoint than three hour long documentaries that have really large budgets, right? I enjoy both pieces of content. They can both coexist. But I think that an environment that is starved of a platform that allows individual creators to participate and innovate is a big problem. And I think that you can actually see a lot of techniques and a lot of production value increase that happens in the you know, traditional centrally planned content creation way on Netflix being influenced by a lot of tricks and a lot of cool things that are that, that come out of, of YouTube and individual creation places. For, for you, for your podcast, you're an individual creator that has a, a platform on Apple and on, on wherever else that you're, um, you're distributing on, shop, on Spotify, wherever it is that you're distributing. Those platforms enable you to reach an audience by yourself, right? But there are still radio stations and TV stations and things like that. So I don't want to uh, say that, that it's mutually exclusive, but I, I, I do think that overall it's significantly harder to make a decentralized platform because you have to get so many different people to be able to successfully work on it. If you're just making software for yourself, you're gonna make a much better product. It's gonna just be a lot better, but it's not really gonna be applicable to anybody else besides the way that you manage your business. There's a concept that was studied, I think in the 70s and 80s out of MIT and in Harvard that's called Conway's Law. And the law basically says that your software, the product that you build, is going to mirror your organizational structure. If your organizational structure is very decentralized, the technical architecture and the product you build is going to be more modular and, and more decentralized as well. If you have something that is really monolithic, everything is all together, your organization will likely gravitate towards that as well, or you'll fail. So I think that is the concept that, that really drives what we're, we're thinking about. We can't just make software for ourselves. Uh, we can't just become the manufacturer and, and, and make software for ourselves. That isn't going to help a lot of people. We have to respect that there's a huge amount of expertise out there that we don't know about, and we have to serve those that community of people as our customers. Cool. Uh, that's uh, just so well said and very succinct and clear. So thanks, Sonny.
So just as we finish up today, like what is, what's next for you? Like I really hear the, you're, you're evolving as a CEO and the, the opportunity to create a world-class product that expands beyond borders is there, but also done in a very intelligent way that serves the needs of the customers, not the needs of the developers and programmers and engineers making it. You know, what are you looking forward to for you as a, as a CEO, as a company in the market? You know, what excites you still these days? I think it excites me that we're continuing to increase our reach. We've been in mostly stealth mode, I guess. Like most, a lot of our, our customers come from uh, referrals. A lot of our customers just come from, I don't know, Googling some random thing and going to page 11 and finding us. So we're, we're starting to spend a little bit more money on marketing, a little bit more time on it. I'm, I'm here with you talking about uh, what we're doing. I think we're entering an era where it's time for us to be a little bit more exposed to the market. And that's going to come with a lot of other challenges where it's going to come with other indigestion problems as well. But I think that excites me. It excites me to see where we, where we miss and where we need to improve the product. It excites me to see who we really delight and, and what we need to keep. I think a larger volume of data just will allow us to have genetically a much better product. And so I'm, I'm excited to, uh, forge the product through uh, another bout of heat and, and and fold some more steel together to, to make it stronger. But I'm, I think I'm mostly excited about what I'm always excited about is a, a continual infusion of talent, of people, of customers, more voices that just creates a, a very noisy environment, but also an incredibly energetic environment. That's really what motivates me to keep going. Well, I love that. Well, from a consumer and a person uh if companies are built with the intentionality that you are bringing to it um, and the passion i think the world is in a, a good hands and i just wish it nothing but the success for you and your team and for what you're up to i look forward to what's next because uh i just really like where you're coming from so just thanks for being here thank you for slowly moving out of stealth mode and allowing the world to know what you're up to uh because i think it's uh net good and so i'm excited for it so now we're gonna move even further where can people find out about fulcrum where can they I don't know, do a demo, learn about how it can help their businesses and, and just connect with you on a personal level. Our website is fulcrumpro.com. Uh, we show actual screenshots of the product there. You can book a demo. You can chat with someone live. We're very open about what we, what we do. We'll answer your questions directly and bluntly. And if anybody's listening to a podcast, I always offer my email. It's sunny like the weather, S-U-N-N-Y at fulcrumpro.com. You can hit me up. I used to probably be able to respond within the same day, but probably if feel a few days lag now as my inbox is, is getting a little un, unruly, but um, I do intentionally try to get back to people that reach out directly. Awesome, man. Well, I appreciate that. I, I'm going to pass on a referral or two year wakes. Just, I like what you're doing, even though I don't know fully what the product does, but more than anything, I just so appreciate you uh, offering your time today. It's been a sincere pleasure. Uh, I'm smarter for it. And so I hope our listeners are as well. So Sonny, thanks for, for being here today. Thank you. Appreciate it. Folks, my guest today, Sunny Han, who is the CEO at Fulcrum. Be sure to check them out. Uh, listen to this interview. I hope that uh, from digesting this content, you don't get indigestion, but really a, a richer self and a richer leadership style. And, and there's a lot to take away from today. So thanks for being here. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Thanks for subscribing. Thanks for being you. And uh, I'll see you next time. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. If you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. 
we post twice a week, so you can count on us for your weekly source of content to help you grow and expand as a leader. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please consider giving us a review. We read every single one, and it helps us make a better show for you, the listener. Also, it helps more people find the show, which means we can help as many people as possible. We appreciate you listening and following along, and we hope you have a wonderful rest of the day. And as Anthony says, until next time.